outside the church there is no salvation. And I know that's a sentence, a statement that is going to put people a little bit on edge, but we'll get to it all as this unfolds. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12, and in that we see two teachings juxtaposed. We see a story of an evil spirit that leaves a person, then returns to that same person bringing other spirits. And then we also see a teaching that our true mothers and brothers are those that are part of the family of God. Now there is a common theme between the two. Something will inhabit your life and something will be your God. Something will be your family and the only way to be cleansed of evil and death is to enter into the family of God. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there is one other here with me in Cord Purgatory. I'm Pastor Anthony Alangria. And Anthony, let's just get into that, the title of this, this message. This is always one that's going to, to put people a little bit on edge, makes us all a little uncomfortable. This idea that there is no salvation outside the church. When you hear that, if, if we went over to, to college students, the, the college kids, how are they going to respond to that? Uh, they would be very uncomfortable. They'd be very uncomfortable with it. If you said that to a con- congregation, which is going to happen here in about two hours here, uh, wh- how do you think people are going to respond to that? Some people would be uncomfortable yeah, and pe- some people would not be. At first, people are going to be uncomfortable. But the truth is, is that The church is not something which is accidental in the course of God's kingdom. It is something which is meant to be instrumental. It's not an accident, a random happenstance that exists. And hopefully by the end of this message, maybe all the pitchforks will will be tamed. Um, If the pitchforks are not tamed, you can send them to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road. I will happily receive them. I'm ready to own up to all the things that, that we say and do around here. But let's actually get into our message. Pastor Anthony, would you begin by reading our scripture today? And again, these two stories, they seem to be disjointed, but they really do go together quite well. So, Anthony, would you read out of Matthew 12, verses 43 through 50? When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless regions, looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside, waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers, they're standing outside, wanting to speak with you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother, and who is my brother? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother, and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There are no accidents in the order of the gospel. And here we see two texts juxtaposed that seem to be so disconnected from one another. However, there really is a common theme between the two. Something is going to inhabit your life, just as the unclean spirit it inhabited that man, and something will be your God. Something is going to be your family, and the only way to be cleansed of evil and death is to enter into the family of God. So as we read through this, and and thank you, Anthony, for reading us through that text, and we read from the NRSV, we read through this and we find ourselves perplexed. We, we hear this story about the unclean spirit coming back to rest in this man, and it kind of leaves us at a place where we're wondering, what is the antidote to evil? Is that kind of how you feel, Anthony, when you read that? You're like, well, what, what is the antidote to evil here? 
Like, how in the world does this happen? It it looked good, didn't it? I mean, he, the spirit left and then he cleans himself up. It is pretty interesting that uh, the house is swept and put in order for him whenever he returns. Yeah. Um, and that he comes back with more. Yeah. Yeah. This this is the teaching of a story. So we find that there's a person who's possessed by an evil spirit. And the evil spirit left to roam the earth. And as the spirit roamed, it realized it had no better home than the person that it just left. And returning back to its home, it says, oh, goodness, my home has been cleaned up. It's been organized. But for the person who did the cleaning and organization, it wasn't enough because the spirit took possession of the body again, making the person in its home once more. But even for the spirit, this wasn't enough to satisfy it. It decided to celebrate its homecoming by throwing a big party for itself and inviting seven more spirits, even more evil than itself, to join in as wicked housemates. You know, one of the things that the, the church talks about from time to time is the issue of cohabitation and things that come there. This, this one unclean spirit, it isn't happy um, unless it is cohabitating with seven even more wicked spirits. That's another issue for another day. But we look at this, and the story can easily leave us wondering as how we can defend ourselves against such horror. But there's another thing that's noticeable from this story. Anthony, is there someone who is missing from this story in this man's life? Well, at least in the first story. Um, yeah, that's just what we're looking at. put the now. house in order is missing, and I think that's pretty interesting. Uh but certainly God is missing. God is missing. And God is the one being who is definitively known by his absence. And it is in this truth that we find the antidote to evil in that selection of scripture. So many elements of the story seemed good. It seemed good for the evil spirit to leave with the intent of finding another home. You know, that clearly looks like a good thing. The person got their life together, which also sounds like a good thing. But there is one element that is missing. The spirit of God was missing. There's a movie that's come out that's kind of popular right now, The Joker. And if you've seen the new Joker movie, I'm not going to do a movie review on that one, though I'm kind of tempted to. Uh, one of the things which is unmistakably missing throughout the whole movie is God. And that's actually pretty hard to do in any movie at all made. There's not a single church mentioned. I don't even think you hear the, the word God mentioned. You know, passingly, people use God as... Well, they take the Lord's name in vain in a lot of ways, but you don't hear it at all, whether it's an explicitive or just a, a shock reaction. To my knowledge, I didn't notice that in there. There's not a, a single like cross tattoo or cross necklace. It's like in that world, Christianity does not exist and God does not exist. And also there's no antidote to evil in that. Um, one suffering gets replaced by more and more and things devolve into a great amount of wickedness. And that's what basically happens here in this story. Yes, for those who went and watched the movie Joker, you didn't realize that this story actually existed in Scripture. But there it is, starting in Matthew 12, 43. Whenever God is missing, something is going to come and inhabit. That, that's basically how the world is. You're going to have a God in your life. And whenever the Spirit of God is missing from our lives, there's nothing we can really do to fully arm ourselves against evil. We are interesting creatures who are never satisfied to live empty lives. Thus, we are always engaging with creation and the world. Things enter our mind, ideas, convictions come into our hearts. And if we do not have God's Spirit dwelling in us to guide us and cleanse us, wickedness is going to cleanse. It's, it's going to, to come in and it's going to do its wicked 
cleansing. And when I say wicked cleansing, perhaps that's bad word choice, but it's going to do things by its own standards. It's going to come in and see that everything was organized the way that the person wanted it. It says, no, 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 no. I want to throw my party. Let's come in here, get seven other demons. We're going to throw things around. We're going to reorganize this. Only the cleansing that comes from Christ Jesus can ever have victory over these things. And that is what we learn from just the absence of God in that text. But again, Jesus doesn't just stop speaking. There's an immediate transition. Again, nothing in the Gospels happens by random accident. It's not just that it's put there as a, a misstep. You know, it, there's an intentional structure to all of these things. And what we learn is that the presence of the Spirit is the antidote to evil. Moreover, we cannot be saved from eternal death and decay if we do not have the Spirit of God within us. After Jesus taught of the evil spirit that moved back into the godless person, Jesus immediately moved to teach about the family of God. And this is not a random change in topic. If you, as an individual with an eternal soul, want to be saved from the damnation and possession of evil and eternal decay, then you must be a part of the family of God. There is an ancient saying in the church, extra ecclesium nulla salus, or in English, this is, outside the church, there is no salvation. Now, this statement, it simply means that salvation cannot be separated from the church. The church does not exist by just a random occurrence that God put together and said, hey, you know, I think I might like to put this thing together and call it the church. You know, it wasn't random. It wasn't just something thought up casually. It actually was a serious institution, and it had a serious purpose. Being a part of the family of God is something declared necessary by Christ. Now, as I said earlier, Anthony, do you think a lot of people would, would argue against that statement whenever they hear it? I know back when I was in university, people were very quick to, to kind of throw down whenever they heard that question. That outside the church there is no salvation? Yeah. Um, people might be a little more partial to it now, but that's also because uh, the philosophy and identity and collectivism is always pushed really, really hard, and it's starting to take a sort of holiness manifestation. I don't know what to think of it very much, but people are thinking of communal holiness and things of that nature. And so they're finding, uh, they're trying to find ways to see salvation as part of a group rather than salvation as an individual per se into the kingdom of God. Um, so it's a little different. And uh, I know that they would be very, very uncomfortable with the idea still and yeah. unsure of how to look at it. But they would be a little more – they wouldn't just outright reject it, I think. Well, well, let's look at it like this. Typically, people argue against this statement by saying, you know, somebody can be on an island and they can find a Bible and come to know God. And that certainly is a real possibility. And it does not negate the fact that outside the church there is no salvation. If someone came to confess Christ while on an island with the Bible, then they have become a Christian. And what does that mean if you're a Christian? Anthony, if somebody becomes a Christian, are you a part of the family of God or are you not part of the family of God? Part of the family of God. That's right. You're part of the universal church, which still means even if you were alone on a desert isle with a Bible, which again, that would be a very, very extremely rare exception, you would still be a part of the universal church. You would be a part of the family of God, and therefore you still cannot separate the church from salvation. So looking at it sort of the backwards way, once someone becomes saved, they are stepping into the church. You cannot separate these two things. Once you accept Christ and you have that salvation of Christ, 
then you are a member of the family of God. You've been adopted into it. And that's a very, very important thing. The family of God truly is a family, and families are unique institutions. They're the smallest versions of society, and therefore they're the ones which we generally are the most involved. The family is also the oldest institution that God put in place. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you look at our most ancient ancestors. When God forms them from the dust of the earth, he immediately institutes the family. This is one of the reasons that we're here for. It's not generic community. It's not you're part of the neighborhood. Families are a very specific type of community. They're a very specific type of neighborhood, and we need to be precise about this. Why? Because families are made up of ancestors and descendants, and therefore they're not limited by time. Typically, your community is, you know, whoever moved in next to you, you kind of work with them. People can move out of that. People can, can you know, be participating in it. They can kind of be shut-ins. But if you're family, you're a legitimate part of someone's family if you lived hundreds of years before them or if you're their children hundreds of years later. If someone passes away, they're not no longer part of your family. Your, your great-great-great-grandparents that you never met, they're still part of your family. And your great-great-great-niece or nephew that may not even be your direct bloodline, but they're somewhere down there, they're also still part of your family. Families exist across generations. And when God instituted this family, which again, in the immediate setting, it's usually small. It usually involves, you know, children, parents, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, that sort of thing. There's an immediate small aspect of it, but then it also includes something much bigger that transcends time. And the family of God is bigger than time, and yet it is small enough to be very personal and significant and powerful in our life. And when we are part of the family of God, we have eternal life. Being a member of the family of God cannot be separated from salvation. So when we say it like that, does that make it a little easier to, to palette that statement, Anthony? Certainly. Yes, and I, I hope, again, that, that helped tame down some pitchforks. But again, big enough guy, if you, if you want to send the pitchforks, 6186 Eaton's Creek Road, send them on over. Um, if you would like to, to send something nice with that, like a batch of cookies as well, we'll eat them too. Um, send it all. And the family of God really is something that we, we need to emphasize here, and that is what we see in these two texts. When we read these two texts, again, we saw there were a variety of created things mentioned here, as well as a few things that are uncreated and unborn to this world. The human body was created for life that walked with God without death. And that's something to remember. Anthony, what, did God design humanity to walk into death? No. No, no. Um, and I like how there was like the, the teenage answer, like, no. Um, yeah, but that's, that's a basic question. We were not designed for that. However, sin entered into the question. And Anthony, what are the consequences of sin? Death. Death. And that is something which was uncreated, unborn, and it corrupted us. The family of God is an ordained institution, and the family of God is an eternal institution. Whenever God creates institutions, he intends for them to last. And it's very popular for people in our world to look at older institutions and say, oh, those things, they're outdated. If they came from another time, the modern world has such technology that things from another age could never be relevant. This is something we see all over the place in the modern world. Uh, people generally claim that if a text or an idea, it was written or recorded hundreds of years ago, before modern technology, before all the stuff we have today, then it cannot possibly be relevant or even compatible with the world of today. However, to believe this notion is to only do a disservice to the believer. There are many things from history which have so much value today 
that they have the same value that they did on the day of their inception. And this is fundamentally true of all things that are made by God. God does not build institutions that are meant to only last a short while. When you look throughout the history of the people of God, whenever God creates an institution, it is meant to last. The church, the family, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the truth of God's word are all examples of God's dedication to longevity. When God institutes something, he does not mean for it to be torn down. Even when we look at the holy temple that was in Jerusalem, we know that it was fulfilled rather than it was just deconstructed. The purpose of the temple grew beyond the limits of a single structure. Again, God did not change his mind that it was important for people to interact with the sacred. God didn't change his mind that it was important to have buildings and things which we can set apart as being holy. But rather, it, it grew into the entire life of the church. The, the importance of the temple went from being a single structure in its limits to it went to rest with the entire life of the church. Again, this wasn't because God said, well, I've changed my mind on something like that being important. No, it was fulfilled. It moved to a new level. It, it continued on the journey that it was going, and it manifested still in keeping with everything it did before, but it grew. It, it was fulfilled. And our bodies, just like the holy temple, are vessels hungry for God's spirit and the true life for which we were formed. Humanity was not originally designed for death, and the work of the cross was undergone so that humanity could be restored to a state of eternal life with God. And we need to prepare our bodies for eternal life in the church. This means that we surrender ourselves, not to our own design, but to the design that God has for us. This requires confession of Christ and adoption into the family of God. For the poor individual in the early portion of our Matthew text, they went from being simply possessed by a single evil force to being possessed by multiple evil forces. This was because he did not have the Spirit of God within him. And having the Spirit of God inside us prepares us for life in the kingdom. This does not mean that our bodies are renewed here and now and that we will not experience worldly suffering, but it means that we will not be eternally possessed by the consequences of sin. Christ is the judge of the living and the dead, and ultimately there will be a bodily resurrection where those who have been made clean by the power of Christ, they will experience a new body and a new life that is free from the consequences of our fallen world. So as we wrap this up, I want us to examine our own lives. Look at the, the work that we are called to do in God's kingdom. And we should look at God, we should look to the life and teachings of Christ Jesus and the holy victory that Christ Jesus had over death and his eternal reigning on the throne. And we should examine ourselves and say, if God is one who is dedicated to excellence, he is dedicated to longevity, then we too, his people, we should structure our lives accordingly. We should also be people of excellence and look to build institutions that last, and we should look to stay with institutions and build them up. Well, Anthony, now that we've kind of reached the, the end of our conversation here, do you have any final thoughts on outside the church there is no salvation you think there'll still be a lot of pitchforks after that or if we kind of tamed that down and maybe explained it a little better what do you think uh <clears throat> well i think there's always people who disagree with scripture so that's that but <laughs> in any case uh so something i would ask is and really only because you invited me to earlier is because is that in light of this idea or this attribute of salvation whatever 
How do we treat people who never hear about the good news? You know, that's a very good question. And as stated earlier, it is Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead. And we know that there is always hope in Christ Jesus. The Gospels teach us overwhelmingly we should be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We have to do both of those at the same time. We know that God is a God of mercy, and even when people do things that that lead to their own death, um, we see things like suicide, things that are, are clearly sin, but we also know people aren't in their right state of mind, and we know that God is a God of mercy, and he prayed that prayer. Our God, when going to the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if God is willing to have that level of mercy, and again, that's not me saying that everybody gets into heaven at all. I'm just saying God is a God of mercy, and as he judges the living and the dead from the throne, we know that he is one of mercy. So, again, that doesn't give us all the answers we want, but it does let us have hope. And that is what the gospel is here to do, to give us hope and assurance. With that, we'll go ahead and, and head out. Thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. We're clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Check us out on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes. There's a lot of different places you can come and join us. You can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. And really, one of the most important things you can do is to make sure you're involved with a local church fellowship where you are growing and being a wonderful member in the family of God. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.